Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This is a weekly podcast with new episodes available every Sunday and Monday morning. The inspiration for this podcast was a desire to write, share, and talk about things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, 3 years ago, or yesterday. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite listening platform. You can rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you enjoy this episode, please consider sponsoring this podcast with a small monthly donation by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes. I want to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Snake River Roasting Company is an organic coffee roaster located in the beautiful mountains of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. They roast award-winning coffees, and their mission and commitment to supporting the rights of women farmers around the world are just incredible. I started my morning with a cup of their Rome, Wyoming organic coffee blend. And if you're ready to fall in love with your coffee, Snake River Roasting Company has a free shipping code for you to give their delicious coffee a taste. Head to their website, snakeriverroastingco.com, and use the code COFFEELOVE at checkout for free shipping on all domestic coffee orders. Well, thank you so much for all the feedback and positive responses to the new Sunday Morning Sobriety series. In case you missed it, I decided that this year I will release mini-episodes every Sunday morning exploring all aspects of physical and emotional sobriety. Yesterday, I shared step one from the 12 and 12 with some of my own reflections and journal prompts to help anyone who wants to explore their relationships with substances or behaviors that may have been having a harmful impact on their life. I hope it resonates with you. I'm always open to feedback and questions. You can always DM me at Love Letters and Mixtapes on Instagram. So here we are in a new year, and there is usually so much discussion around this time of year about all the things that we can do, all the things that we can change, and all that we can add to our lives. So often our resolutions are full of new patterns and practices that we aim to implement into our lives, which is wonderful. And that definitely serves a purpose because there are some new habits and patterns that we can introduce that would definitely serve us. But I am always more interested in working with what we already have and familiarizing ourselves with different angles and lessons in our story that maybe we previously haven't seen or acknowledged. Over time, we begin to think that we know all there is to know about who we are, what we do, why we do it, how we react, or what we really want. And I promise you that even with all that knowledge, there's about 1,000 more layers to go as we get to know ourselves. And I don't encourage this type of inquiry because I think that we're so endlessly interesting, special, or unique. It's actually kind of the opposite of that. I encourage this because when we recognize this within ourselves, we begin to recognize it in other people. We step away from our black and white thinking. We step back from our certainty about other people. And we begin to see them through the eyes of a witness or observer instead of a judge and jury. We meet ourselves and others from a place of neutrality and curiosity. So in honor of that, this week I wanted to talk about our experience with shame and accepting our wholeness. 
Before we begin, I want to invite you to bring yourself into alignment, surrender, and presence, all of which is a lot easier said than done. But I want to set the tone for this topic and check in with the part of you that is already beginning to build a wall around yourself to say, I am not ashamed of anything, or I'm totally over it, or I don't regret anything, or that's just not something I have to deal with anymore. And I say that because we're all human. We have these defense mechanisms. They're very unconscious. They get triggered instantly, and we just dive right into them. So I'm inviting you to pause for a second and observe them. Check in with the part of you that brushes off intimacy and vulnerability. We all do that to some degree. But I mention it here because so often the things we do that we believe are protecting us are really just cutting us off from emotions and experiences that could transform and expand us. And while our experience with shame can feel like something we have to run away from, or that we should just put as much distance between our shame and ourselves as we possibly can. Maybe it's actually the act of getting closer to our shame that connects us with our wholeness and acceptance, which then translates into the ability to receive and accept the wholeness of other people. There's a quote that always resonated with me, and just serves as such a powerful reminder of what we actually crave in our vulnerable and intimate relationships and sort of the steps that we have to take to create and hold that space for other people. And that quote is, I am personally convinced that the basic search of every human being from the cradle to the grave is to find at least one other human being before whom he can stand completely naked, stripped of all pretense or defense, And trust that person not to hurt him, because that other person has stripped himself naked too. And what on earth could possibly be better than that or more difficult for us to imagine? To be seen, heard, known, trusted, understood, and accepted in our totality. To be fully present with someone else without our armor and defenses that we've carried on our backs our entire lives. And that's really important when we share our truth or our experiences with other people. And maybe it's even more important when other people share those things with us. So I invite you to keep that in mind as both a foundation and a highest ideal to continually work towards as we move into this discussion of shame and wholeness. There's this myth about shame that it only serves us when we can finally cast it aside or have successfully moved beyond it, as if it's something to be overcome or dominated. When in fact, shame is a deep well of information for us about how we perceive ourselves and the rest of the world. Shame can be a filter for us. And even when we do eventually move beyond our shameful feelings over certain experiences or chapters in our lives, we can always check back and tap into that filter and remember what it was like to have our perception distorted based on those feelings. And it's such a good reminder. 
So running away from it doesn't completely serve us because it's actually a useful tool for us throughout our entire lives. There's this great quote from the book, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, by Jonathan Safran Foer. And he says, I felt suddenly shy. I was not used to shy. I was used to shame. Shyness is when you turn your head away from something you want. Shame is when you turn your head away from something you do not want. And I just thought that that totally and perfectly summed up what shame feels like in our bodies. So how does shame show up in our lives? I gave this a lot of thought and I realized that in my own life and maybe in yours, shame tends to show up in three different ways. We feel shame about who we are. We feel shame about things we've said, done, felt, or thought. And we feel shame about some things that have happened to us. Shame about who we are can be anything from our self-image, shame over how our bodies look, feel, or function, shame over what we think makes us different from other people or separates us from the crowd, maybe shame over how we were raised or the origin story of where we come from, how we grew up, what our family is like. It can show up as shame over our core values, what feels important to us, what makes us, us, and a feeling that we don't quite belong in the world or that we don't deserve the same thing that other people deserve, including safety, respect, love, and nurturing. Shame about the things that we've said, done, felt, or thought can be a little different for us because these are things that we can recall. They are clear. They are experiences, memories, or moments in time that we return to over and over again, sometimes when we don't even want to. If you've ever reflected on your own behavior or something you said and find yourself immediately shuddering or cringing, then you know what I'm talking about. Maybe there's some shame based on how we behaved in active addiction and the way we adopted harmful behaviors and coping mechanisms that we justified at the time. But looking back, we are pretty much horrified at how we treated people and moved through the world. Maybe we think that that is the only way people think of us and remember us. Maybe there's shame based on our behavior in romantic relationships. We can carry deep regret and shame over the way that we behaved or communicated or didn't communicate or didn't show up in these partnerships. In general, shame in this area looks like running away from something that we've said or done, or a moment where we failed to say or do something that would have benefited us. There's also a particular type of shame associated with our sexuality and sexual expression the things that we like, the things that we want, the things that we don't want, things that we've done or things that we want to try but we're too afraid to ask for. I think that society loves this particular strand of shame because it exerts so much control over us and we feel like we're the only ones. 
It makes us think that there's something wrong with us. Something's missing from us. That there's some other person that we should try to become or that who we are is defective or unattractive in some way. Then there's also shame about the things that have happened to us. And it feels a bit different because there is a lack of ownership or control. We still cringe when we look back on the experiences, but there's almost this other layer because our agency was taken from us or we were violated or harmed in some way. And this can be the result of a physical, verbal, or sexual assault. It could be the result of childhood trauma or sexual abuse. And it can also be the result of our interactions with other people where we were lied to or misled and it brought negative consequences into our lives. When we're talking about shame, whether it's rooted in something I mentioned or something I may have left out, it's important to remember how shame is treated in our culture and society. We are encouraged and almost explicitly told to just put as much distance between ourselves and the triggering thought or feeling, and that this distance is the same as processing, healing, apologizing, or making amends. There's a strange belief that if we continue to turn away from the things that we are most ashamed of, that it will be easier or less painful than turning toward them and exploring the wounds. But what is the collateral damage of allowing shame to steer the ship when it comes to our relationships, our profession, our self-perception, or making amends? The first thing that comes to mind is poor self-esteem or poor self-image. When unexplored shame controls us, it begins to tell us stories about ourselves. It tells us stories about what we think other people think about us and feel about us. It cuts us off from compassion for ourselves and from receiving compassion from other people. The next thing that comes to mind is the compounding interest of damage when we can't, won't, or simply just don't apologize and make amends for the things that we've done. When we refuse to step into this emotional space, to get vulnerable, to be honest and accountable with ourselves and others, we cut ourselves off from relief, connection, and healing. We also deny the other person all of those things as well. One of the most liberating things that we can say while making our amends to another person is, have I harmed you in ways that I am unaware of? That one sentence offers so much willingness to be understanding and present and to see things differently in the relationship. It's an admission that I see things this way, but I understand that I may not be seeing the whole picture. Are you willing to share what you see or how you feel? Because I am willing to hold space for it. Maybe think about how often our shame, perfectionism, or imposter syndrome prevents us from taking a chance, from going after a dream or creating something that we're passionate about. We'll now apply that to our relationships. How often does our shame, perfectionism, or imposter syndrome prevent us from stepping into intimacy, honesty, and vulnerability 
with the people that we care about. I have definitely said it before that our wholeness doesn't mean perfection. It means all of you is welcome here. It means that no part of you is left out. Sharing the truth of who we are will bring us to emotional spaces that perfection couldn't even dream of. So it's really important to check in with ourselves and say, what am I cutting myself off from? What relationship, what dream, what experience, what dynamic am I cutting myself off from because I'm ashamed of who I am or the things I've done? And what can I do about it? And it's one thing to wait around for another person to tell us that our wholeness or all of our imperfections and flaws are welcome. That feels amazing. But what would it feel like to remind ourselves of that every single day? To say to ourselves, all of you, every strength, flaw, weakness, talent, and imperfection is welcome here. And you are home in your own body. I encourage you to begin implementing some kind of a practice this year where you do that, where you call yourself home and remind yourself that there is no part of you or of your past that doesn't fit into the present. I know that it's tempting, almost intoxicating even, to wait for someone else to look at us and pick us out of the crowd and tell us this, or to evaluate us and tell us that we are finally acceptable. But the real power move is anchoring into ourselves and not waiting for anyone else to meet this shame and just gently walk ourselves into acceptance. There's a saying in 12-step programs that we are as sick as our secrets. And what that means is that the things that we are trying to constantly just not think about or look at are the things that bind us in shame. And part of the power of healing in community is that you can be in a room full of 200 people and raise your hand to share. And you sit there thinking that there is no way these people are going to allow you to stay in this room after you talk about some of the things that you've done or felt. And instead, you look up and you just see people nodding along because they've done those things too. Or they understand what it feels like to be in those situations. Or they can really connect with the feelings, even if they can't connect with the facts of your situation. And there's just so much liberation in that connection and understanding. So many of us can relate to shame spirals or share shame. The moment that follows some kind of personal disclosure, whether that's with an individual or a group. In one moment, we feel inspired to share the truth about ourselves, and there's this fleeting wave of relief and connection that is immediately followed by an intense wave of shame, where we instantly regret opening up so much or inviting someone to really see us, to see beyond the mask that we're constantly putting in people's faces. And you know, those shame spirals aren't always a red flag that something has gone horribly wrong. Obviously, yes, sometimes they can be. Maybe we revealed something about ourselves too soon or put too much pressure on a relationship. But 
in established intimate relationships, when we continually find ourselves experiencing share shame, it's actually an invitation to look at some of our fears and anxieties about really being seen and known. I know that so many of us would much rather establish romantic relationships where the other person can share openly about themselves and we can just be these silent, nodding, loving recipients of information instead of also sort of stepping into the ring and showing up in the relationship and sharing something about ourselves as well. But maybe when we do that, we're actually cutting ourselves off from some of the magic. Maybe that's us just touching our toe to the water's edge and running away instead of joining someone for a swim in the water. And it makes you think, what is my desired end result? Do I want to remain on the shore my whole life by myself, just waving at someone who's playing in the water? Never being close to them, never getting to participate with them or make memories with them or feel connected to them. Or do I want to dive into the water to test my skills, my emotional strength, to have a little faith and see what can happen when I finally join them? I always like to share questions in these episodes because I think it offers a practice that goes beyond passive listening. I never want this podcast to be about me telling you who you are. I want it to be a space where you feel supported and empowered to explore your relationship with yourself and begin to write a new story. So here are some questions that might help when we are exploring shame. What story am I telling myself about shame or why I am shameful, unworthy, or unlovable? Is there a chapter in my past that I can't look at because I am too overwhelmed by shame? Which relationships or experiences have been damaged because of my refusal to address this time in my life? What story do I tell myself about other people's lives and experiences as humans? Do I think that everyone else has it figured out or everyone else never makes mistakes or never recoils in regret and shame when thinking about their past? How do I respond to flaws and weaknesses in other people? How do I respond to flaws and weaknesses in myself? Where does shame live in my body? When I experience feelings of shame, what part of my body reacts? Am I ashamed of my body? Has my unaddressed or unexplored shame ever transformed into a distorted resentment or grudge? Have I allowed my shame in a relationship or some area of my life to become so overgrown that it feels too big to ever address? How often is my shame interacting with fear, 
anxiety, and anger to catapult me into resentment. And I hope you take some time to sit with those questions or do some journaling about them. Anyone who followed me on Instagram in 2020 and early 2021 knows that I regularly share daily journal prompts to help us process and explore different topics each month. I recently decided to return to this practice, and starting this month, we are using daily journal prompts to explore resentments, which have such an intense relationship with shame. And if you want to begin working on some of these journal prompts, you can always follow me on Instagram or TikTok at Love Letters and Mixtapes. No matter where you are in your relationship with shame, I want to remind you that shame is never the final word on our past, present, or future. Our shame is not the trusted narrator of who we are, who we have been, or who we have the capacity to become. Shame is simply an invitation to look at something that we want to run away from. I want to close out this episode with a beautiful piece on the topic of shame that is written by Kelsey Hayden. She's an incredible writer and photographer. She sends out these wonderful letters. I would encourage you to sign up and receive them. I know that she now has a new meditation offering. Um, You can find her on Instagram at Kelsey A. Hayden. And she says, shame is a thing I knew I had but I did not know that shame had me too in a certain clutch or trance or trial that I did not agree to. I have never known life without it. The same shame, same sham, like a film, inseparable from and dripping off of me. It is adhesive and form-fitting and has been applied with such precision as to become indistinct, a presence I felt but never recognized. Shame is what catches up when I hit the brakes because shame has legs and does not grow tired. It is resilient, inscrutable, unending, camouflaged. Shame loves to hide. Shame loves avoidance. Shame says, keep detouring around me. Keep going faster. That is how I survive. I survive if you do not look me in the eyes. I survive if you can't find a way to hold me, to show me kindness. I survive if you do not do the vulnerable thing. I survive if you are scared of me. I survive to keep you safe. And the safest thing to do is to not try, is to not believe, is to not connect. Because if you do, you'll end up found out. My shame says I should not tell you any of this because it's embarrassing. I should be embarrassed that I cannot be perfect without trying. I should be more embarrassed that even in trying, I still am not. My shame says that shame is not a good look, that it's shameful to have shame. My shame says that my dreams deserve a better owner, that my writing will never be good or even good enough. It has opinions on how I spend money, how I dress, how I look, how I write, how I fuck, how I move. My shame says the worst thing to do is to let anyone know that I, God forbid, actually want anything, that I think I deserve anything. My shame is a hand over a flashlight, allowing little of my light to escape. 
And even then, telling me that what's beneath it will never be bright enough, but will simultaneously blind me. Shame can't make up its mind. Shame tells contradicting stories. Shame operates within whatever narrative is most convenient to keep me held beneath her flattened palm, which is how I know shame is full of shit. We are all worthy. We are all enough. We all deserve the things we want. But even as I tell you that, even as I begin to believe it, my shame says, those are the rules for everyone else, but not for you. I hope whatever shame you've got knows it can show up to the dimly lit cafeteria mine sits in. I hope the company helps in some way. Because we could all afford to be a little less alone when chaperoning our lives. I hope whatever work you are doing is the work that feels the hardest, is the work that proves to you that you can do impossible things. I hope you remind yourself that it is hard, that it is work, that it is working. It gives me faith to know you are out there trying. I'm trying too. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next week, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Check out this week's playlist on my personal Spotify account. And join me on Instagram and TikTok for daily journal prompts at love letters and mixtapes. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider making a small monthly donation to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio.